following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Church, we come to a, a text this morning that in all honesty I could talk about for hours. So get ready. No, I promise you I won't do that. Um, but I am, I know I'm supposed to be excited every morning. I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, God is doing something in our church, and we get to continue on with that. Before we get into it, I want to start and lay some groundwork by looking at our culture, looking at our community, because I believe right now we are, we are in a, a unique season as a culture, as a community, uh, and as a nation. I think if we, if we looked at our past, we're going to have some in this room who are going to say, you know what, our nation was founded as a Christian nation. Like, we were founded as one nation under God. We were, we were founded as a Christian nation. I think some of us in this room will say that. I think others of us in this room will say, well, not necessarily. It was more on religious freedom as we look at our nation. Um, but here's the, here's the reality. No matter who you are or what you believe about the founding of our nation, here's one thing we can all agree on is that today, in this moment, um, we, let me put it this way. In our past, Christianity has been looked on with favor. Whether you believe it's been, we were founded on it or not, in our past, we have been looked at with favor. Whether or not they agreed with our Christ, our nation has, has at least had a vague belief in God, and they loved us for our morals and our values, we made really good citizens, right? This was the reality as we look back, no matter how we look at our nation. Um, we have been appreciated as, as citizens. Um, our message has been welcomed. But gradually and slowly, something has taken place. Gradually, slowly, um, we have been, we have seen a, a, a subtle shift to where, to where in our culture there is a, a public denial of any one God. There's a public denial. We've moved, in our attempt to kind of diversify and be tolerant and, and all of these things that our nation was found on, what we've done is we've, we've, we've made this slight move away from a belief in God. And don't hear me wrong, don't get me wrong, as a nation we didn't outright reject God. We wanted a little separation, though. We wanted a little separation as, as we, in other words, we didn't make doing what we're doing right now illegal, right? But, but there was this separation that, that we started to see. And, and again, we hold to religious liberty, but it was safer for us to, to kind of <laughs> not take a religious stance at all. And so, so many years ago, you're going to probably remember this, this shift happening as, as Ten Commandments were taken out of courtrooms, prayer was taken out of school, all these things that we started seeing in our culture. This was just, just seeing bits and pieces of uh, this kind of unfold in front of us. And, and again, churches weren't being you know, persecuted. This is not illegal to do what we're doing, right? That's not what it was. But by and large... And might I add, by and large, people still appreciated Christians as being good people, valued members, but, but let's just 
not do this whole God and Jesus thing publicly, do it privately, but we were still, as the church, as followers of Jesus, appreciated. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit, uh, a little bit more to our present day, because I believe we're in the middle of an even larger shift that is taking place. Uh, As a nation, we've continued in our effort to keep, um, to maintain kind of a non-religious stance in the public square. Right, we've, we've made this attempt. We want to be as secular as, as we possibly can. And we've been committed to this. And as our culture has kind of secularized, something very unique has started to happen. And that is the values, the morals, the principles of our, of our communities has, has begun to shift as, as well. Um, We see this phenomenon in several areas, but none more glaring than our current sexual revolution that we find ourselves in as a nation, where for the first time in history, we are questioning some things that that traditionally have never been questioned, gender identity, preference, and and, and the things uh, that we are... um, that we are going through where, where we're struggling, and I'm not, just, I'm not talking about Christians here, but as a culture, we're struggling to figure out what is right, what is wrong. Do we have the ability to call right, right, or wrong, wrong, or is it kind of muddy? That's kind of where we are as we're seeing values kind of begin to, we're not agreeing on them any, anymore. Um, and what has happened is, okay, follow me, and this is why I bring this up. Where we once were here, where there was a vague understanding of a belief in God, and they, our culture typically liked us. I'll just put it like that. Liked Christians, appreciated us. There was a shift to here where, okay, we're not buying your God anymore, but we still like you. We still appreciate your values. We still think you add to our culture and our society to now, church, I believe we're making a shift here, which is we don't really want your God or your values. And I don't think as the American church we've ever been in this place before. And, and there's been this shift in church. We need to know how to respond when we ourselves are countercultural. We need to know how to respond because no longer can we live under the expectation that people are going to want to hear what we have to say. Parents, no longer can we live our lives believing that our kids are going to grow up in a world where if they follow Jesus, they'll be normal or accepted. No longer are are we living in those days. We're seeing a huge shift. And so what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? As a church, what do we say to that? What do we do? And I want to put this question on the screen for us because this is the question that I'd like for us to wrestle with this morning. Church, what do we do when our gospel seems divisive? What do we do when our gospel, the thing we stand on, um, seems divisive? for those of you who, of us who believe in the gospel, this question just kind of shakes me because how can the gospel be bad? It, I mean, it means good news, right? How can the good news be something bad or negative? But it, it, it's hard to even, but here's the reality. No matter how we slice it, no matter how we look at it together, as good as our gospel is, 
we live in a culture, church, we live in a culture, we are part of a culture where our gospel is offensive, is counter-cultural, it is not popular, and it is divisive. So church, how do we respond? How are we to engage our culture when the thing that we're bringing to them is the thing that's offensive? What do we, what do? We do? Um, I made reference, we just sat down in this room uh, this morning at 8.45, and we had our first session uh, that we're calling Scatterology, which this is exactly what we're talking about, is how do we live out, live on mission, live out our faith in a real world? What does that look like? Because as you know, it gets a little messy. And it was incredible. We're going to kind of continue on into that. If you weren't a part of it, I encourage you, it's worth your time. It is. We're going to be meeting the same time next week. So if you're available, we have a spot for you. So come um, be a part of it uh, next week as we continue on in this conversation. But we all know that we're supposed to live out our faith. We all know that. But more than ever, I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe not uh, vocally right now, but um, <laughs> we are more timid than ever. We are, we are more timid uh, than we've ever been because I believe we feel we sense something. We sense that our message is going to potentially be divisive. That if we talk, it might not go well. I think we feel that, and so what do we do when our gospel seems divisive? We're gonna look at that together um, and before we get, by the way, we're going to be in Luke 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can find your place there with me. Um, I want you to realize something right off the bat as you find your place there, church. It, we have been here before. By we, I mean the church. We have been here. Maybe not the American church yet, but we as a church have been here before. As we look through our history, um, this is not something new to God's people. In fact, the gospel has thrived. Thrived in places where it is countercultural. It is thrive. We need to not, we can just look at our history and stand on that fact. Um, so church, you're not alone. We're not alone. We are not alone in where we sit in our community, in the community we're raising our kids in. We're not alone in this. Um, let's look at Luke 2. We're gonna start in 22. What we're gonna see very quickly is that our gospel, our Christ, Jesus Christ, has always been divisive. Let's, let's look together. We'll, we'll, we'll start in, in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As uh, it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So, let me just unpack that before we move on, because that is not something we typically see in our culture. Um, but what we see here is a reference to uh, a law that comes out of Leviticus, if you want to look at it, Leviticus 12, verse 3. And, and what it does is it says that 40 days after the birth of a child, that the parents would come and they would come to the temple and they would purify themselves become clean again. They would offer a sacrifice to become clean. Again, also as part of the law, as, as is referenced here, they would present, if you had a firstborn boy, you would present that boy in the temple uh, to be blessed. 
And so Mary and Joseph here are in keeping with the law. They come to the temple. That's what's going on here. And, and we look as it continues on our description in verse 24. It says, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So just side note, we talked about last week how absolutely insane it is. The, the fact that God chose to bring his son into the world in such a humble way from the humble town of Bethlehem to a stable to a feeding trough. The humility in this story, it, we called it last week a mystery. I don't know if we'll ever be able to wrap our minds around that. But again, in this passage, just by the way, humility is on display here because typically in this purification uh, process, the, the, the animal that would be sacrificed is a lamb. And, and the Bible says that, that if the, the family cannot afford a lamb, they don't have a lamb, well then you can offer a bird, a dove, a turtle dove. So even in this moment, we see the humility of, of Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, in that they are bringing this, this sacrifice because they couldn't afford the lamb and they brought what they had. You see humility again just on display here. Look at this, in verse 25, um, there was a man in Jerusalem who, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon was a man of faith, righteous, devout. Uh, Luke paints this picture of him believing in God, waiting for the Messiah, the consolation of, of Israel. And, and Luke makes something very clear that I don't want to rush past. And that is that, that he, the Holy Spirit rested on him. I don't want to rush past that because, because it's not like it is for us today. See, today we are, as believers in Jesus, indwelled, empowered, strengthened, led, sealed. The Holy Spirit indwells us. It's a mark of the church. That was not the case for the, for the people of this time. That was not the way the Holy Spirit functioned. Uh, so it wasn't the way the Holy Spirit functioned until after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, until Acts 2 in the day of Pentecost. Before that time, here's what the Holy Spirit did, and this is important. The Holy Spirit would come on specific people for a specific time for a specific purpose. Specific people, specific time for a specific purpose. The Holy Spirit would come on like a prophet or, or something like that. It would come on them for a specific reason. And this is exactly what's going on here with Simeon. Now, listen to what he says. Uh, verse 26, uh, it, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's an unbelievable statement right there. That is, uh, just think of how incredible that would be. The whole world waiting, 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 and God speaks to you and says, by the way, you're not gonna die until you see the thing that the, everyone is waiting for. If we put it in our context today, it would be like God coming to you and saying, you will not die until you see Jesus Christ return. That is an incredible, incredible thing to be told. I, I don't know about you, it would change, I think it would bring an incredible amount of excitement to my life, probably change the way I do things if that was told to me. But this was Simeon, this was Simeon, and um, he was a man full of faith, waiting on the Messiah, knowing that he's gonna see him before he dies, and now, verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him according to the custom of the law again. He took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, listen to this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles for the glory of your people Israel. So think about this. Think about this. He sees the child, and that was all he needed. He sees the child, and he knew what this child was. He knew this was the plan of God from the beginning, right here in the form of a baby. He knew it. He sees it. It blesses him. He knows what this is, and I love it because he's like, I'm good now. I'm good. I don't even need to see this baby grow up. I've seen him, and I'm good. And I love the faith that you see here because he sees Jesus with his own eyes. And um, as, as Simeon says these words, Mary and Joseph are taken back. In verse 33, his father and mother just marveled, right? Just marveled at what they were hearing. Um, and you get a sense that this is just the awe of knowing that you're right in the middle of a, God's plan unfolding. And verse 34, okay, I want us to camp here. I want us to camp here for a moment. Uh, we're about to read, a, uh, what we're about to read is a prophecy from Simeon. As he looks at these parents, as he looks at Jesus, he gives us this incredibly uh, interesting prophecy. Listen to this, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that um, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now this is rich. This is a very packed uh, couple verses. And, and I'd like to dig in here for a moment. Uh, we won't have time to touch on everything, but we're just going to do our best. Okay? Um, first of all, what we see here from what Simeon says, he makes very clear that this child and the mission of this child will be divisive. He says that this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many, meaning for some, this child is salvation, the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah. For some, he was it. This is what we were looking for, but... For others, he brought judgment. He brought uh, division. He was going to be rejected. He was going to be opposed. He was going to be killed. For some, this was great news. For others, this was not so great news. Instead, Jesus was the nuisance that we've got to figure out how to keep him quiet. Right? Um, this this was, for some, good news. For some, it was the person that they needed to find a way to kill. Right? Divisive. This child would be divisive, and church Jesus is still divisive. One of the most difficult things about being a pastor, uh, honestly, uh, listen, I get to preach one message, really. We have one gospel. You get to teach and preach one message every day. This is, this is what we stand on, the gospel. This is it. This is it. Um, hear me. There are times when you will see, you're talking about, and a light bulb will come on, 
in a person's eyes and you know that they get it. You know that they have, have through the spirit of God, he has, he has given them eyes and, and transformed them and you see a light bulb come on in their eyes. It is beautiful. It is one of the most amazing things. It's never about our persuasion. It's never about us. It's about our gospel and God's work through it, right? That, that's it. Um, God, the spirit does the work. And it, in church, if you've had the opportunity to, to, to see that, it's something you'll never forget. It is something you will never forget. But here's the frustrating part. Many times, you will share that same message, that same gospel message, and you will not see the light bulb moment. In fact, there will be times where you will see the opposite. You will see hostility. Same message. Same message. What happens? Our tendency is to think, well, okay, I must have done something wrong. I must need to, to maybe fix the way I present the gospel, maybe do it a little differently. That didn't go well, so we got to figure out something to do. Uh, or, I mean, you can fill in the blank there. But hear me, church. For some, we will share the gospel, and, it will, and God will save them and transform them. For others, we will not see that light bulb moment. We will not see the moment where they believe. Instead, it will be offensive. And that does not mean that you're doing it wrong. That it does not mean that the gospel is not enough or not working. Simeon says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Look at the end of that verse for a sign that is opposed. Simeon makes clear, not only will the, this child and this, his mission be divisive, but he will be opposed. Opposed. Um, specifically, this prophecy was written to the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And as we look, um, have we not seen the fulfillment of that? Have we not seen, we look at Judaism, modern-day Judaism, this prophecy has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ is, in fact, the division. He, we've seen this. We've seen him be met with rejection and opposition from, from many. But, church, as we're about to see, the fact is, is that our gospel itself is often divisive, offensive, and opposed. And that rings true for those who are not Jewish as well. It's the same gospel, and we are so hard-headed. Our gospel is divisive. It's often opposed, and I just want to address an elephant in the room. Okay, an elephant in the room with this. If our gospel is uh, divisive often, if our Savior uh, was seen as offensive, as Jesus in his message is often opposed, since we are his disciples, ambassadors, messengers, we are his missionaries, since we've been called to proclaim his message, right? That's us. That's us. What does that mean? That means, church, that there will be times when you will be seen as divisive, when you will be seen as offensive, when you will be opposed. Let me be clear. I'm not talking to, okay, just, I'm not talking to those, those of us, we've probably known these people, who um, 
are kind of hateful, judgmental, and they just go in guns ablaze and like, I don't care, right? Um, I'm not talking about that. You're offensive because you are offensive, right? That's, that's not what I'm referring to here. Um, I am talking about those of us who legitimately love and care for people in our lives. We legitimately care. We legitimately care for our neighbors, and there are times when our community, the people we care about, are offended by us, by our message, not even by our, an offensive method, uh, yeah, but, but by our message itself. Church, that can be incredibly difficult, and none of us should desire that. Let me just be clear. That's hard. That is, that is difficult. Uh, but that fact will force us to respond in one way or another. How do we respond to that fact, right? Um, so I want to just, for a moment, just identify a couple of ways that we can choose to respond that are um, less than ideal, okay? Less than ideal first. We can experience that, see that, and we can compromise our beliefs, Meaning that if I'm going to offend them about something, maybe I need to think about my gospel and take out some of the things that might offend them. Just take them out and, 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 and boil things down to a non-offensive, least common denominator that we can all agree on and move from there, right? And so we, we compromise our, our, uh, our gospel. And so unfortunately, we've seen this many times throughout our history. Uh, the, the most recent one is something called liberal theology, which many of our mainline denominations here in our country have uh, embraced, which, which, here's the problem. When you stand on nothing, you have nothing to stand on. And what we have seen throughout the decades is there has been a significant decline in most of these churches and in most of these mainline denominations who have openly embraced this, we've seen a decline. We've seen a decline in vibrancy. And here's the reality. Compromising our beliefs just does not work. It may seem like the best solution at the time to take away con. I don't know if many of you love conflict. But it might be, make sense to go, well, if this is going to cause conflict... Now it doesn't, you know, that might be what we, what, it, it makes sense, but it doesn't end well and it never has. Compromising our beliefs does not work. We can't pick and choose the parts of the gospel that our community are going to like. We can't, that's not yours, that's not mine, that's not our role for the sake of unity, that, that's not it. Um, we can't gather community around anything less than our gospel. So compromising beliefs is not, is not an option. It can't be. Here's another response that is really common. I would say the most common. We can choose to remain silent. This one uh, is pretty appealing. For my personality, this is really appealing. I'm an introvert. I don't thrive with loving conflict, so this is, this is very much appealing to me. Uh, I don't want to compromise what I believe in. I do not want to compromise what I believe and I know to be true. We can, um, 
But we think, you know, we can believe what we believe on, we can hold to uh, what we believe, and we can just let them do their thing. Let them, let them be. You know, we won't offend them if we don't speak. We won't be opposed if we never talk about this, these things. We won't, we won't cause any division if we're not talking. And I believe this is exactly where the majority of Christians find themselves today. In one way or another, we know that our gospel could cause potential division. We know that. We see it. The writing's on the wall. We see it. We feel it. We believe our gospel is true. We're not willing to sacrifice that. We believe the gospel. So here's what we do. We believe silently. We believe silently. Now, of course, this falls apart. You know, we're sitting in a church so we can, you know, be spiritual with the way we approach this. This falls apart in Scripture. Like, it absolutely falls apart. Uh, We know that we're called to make disciples, be a light, his ambassadors, share the gospel, share the faith. We know these things, right? We know these things don't happen if we're silent. We know these things. But here's the lie that we tell ourselves with this. Um, We'll be silent now, but later we'll speak. So when God is leading us to say something, we say, I'll get to that later. There will be a time later where this won't be as offensive, and, and then I'll do it there. The problem is it, it many times never comes. The later never comes because we're not looking for it, honestly. The later never comes. Silence can, is a scary thing, church. It is a terrifying thing because a silent church is a church on the brink of extinction. A silent church is a church that is right there on the brink of extinction. We cannot compromise our beliefs. We cannot be silent. One more. Let me give you one more, another response that we can have. Um, Yeah, I'll just give it to you. We can choose to arrogantly bombard people. Uh, This response is, I think, best seen with people think, I know I'm going to be offensive. That's just what it is. So I'm going to come in, and I'm just going to tell it like it is, I'm going to knock some heads together. I'm going to share the gospel. And these people are going to like it or leave. It doesn't matter. Like you see that, it's like they're heathens. They'll do what they do, right? You, you get this weird thing that like opposition fuels us. That should never happen. That should never happen. We will quote Bible verses. And this is, this is frustrating is most oftentimes this attitude is our most public attitude Facebook is a great venue platform for this where you hurl theological grenades, you know, <laughs> into the public square, taking casualties along the way. That, anyway, as you can tell, I'm sensitive to this one. Um, I'm an introvert, like I said. Uh, rather, than, rather than seeking God and saying, God, how would you have me speak? How can I be used for your glory to impact the lives of the people that I know and I love and I care about? How can you use me? Instead of going to him in this prayerful mindset, we just run in. We just run in. And this, is, this attitude is so easily picked up on by the people that we are sharing the gospel with. It's so easy to pick up. It's so easy to see. This can't be our response. Uh, It can't be our response. Uh, When we understand the gospel, we should be moved by it in love to share it. 
That's it. And we can't do that if we're, if we're hurling theological grenades. And so we can't compromise our beliefs. We cannot remain silent. We cannot arrogantly bombard people as well. So what do we do? What do we do when our gospel message is countercultural? What do we do when we feel that we are going to be divisive if we speak? Um, I want to talk about a Christian response to living in a culture that rejects the gospel. First thing we see here is prayer is not preparation for the battle, it is the battle. An absence of prayer reveals something. An absence of prayer reveals something in our life and that, that we don't really, we're not really trusting on the Holy Spirit to do his thing. We're trusting in ourselves to know how we can do it. That's what an absence of prayer means. Uh, we have to realize, church, that we are called to live on mission for him, not by our own strength, but through his. And so we pray. We pray for his strength. We pray that he would give us just simply eyes to see opportunities. We pray that he would give us courage. I don't know about you. I need that, church. Courage. That the Holy Spirit will provide that. Prayer is not the thing we do before we step into our mission. Prayer is the mission. And it's through prayer that we are, that we are released, empowered, equipped, and that we have eyes to even see the mission. It is through prayer. Um, if you're here and you're, you're wrestling with knowing, on this hand, I'm called to gospel mission, but on this hand, I, I, I don't know what that looks like. Church, may I just say, start with this, pray. Start with prayer, end with prayer, and all that space in the middle, pray there too, okay? It is the battle. It has to start with prayer. Second, Gospel mission flows from a belief in, in and a commitment to the gospel message. Uh, when we understand the gospel, like I said, when we understand the gospel message, we are propelled, we are moved to do something with it. We, we, we are, it comes from a place of authenticity. Um, this is why we can't ever modify it or change it for the sake of the mission. It breaks down. It breaks down every time because without the gospel message, we have no gospel mission. Without the gospel message, we have no gospel mission. This is why we cannot compromise. Uh, let me just be transparent, honest for a moment here. Um, there may come a day when it is illegal to preach the gospel. There may come a day when it is illegal to stand on this and to, to talk about and to look about at, at what God's word says. That there may come a day when we will be persecuted or punished. And I'm not just saying me, I'm talking about all of us. There may come a day when we will be opposed for standing on these things. If that day comes, and again, church, I'm, I pray that it doesn't. But if that day comes, I wanna stand before you now, and I invite us to hold each other accountable. I invite us to stand. If that day comes, we choose to preach the gospel. We choose to stand on it. We choose to not only, we choose to do that because it is our only foundation. It is our only thing that we, that we can stand on. So we choose to stand on it. We cannot compromise our gospel message for gospel mission. Because without the gospel message, we have, we have no gospel mission. 
Third, gospel transformation is only accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is huge because you are a messenger, an ambassador, a steward of a message, but you are not a miracle worker. You are not a miracle worker. The Bible says that some scatter the seed, some um, plant the seed, uh, water, but God alone causes the growth. It is God alone who causes that that growth. Um, And so we live our lives on mission. We share the gospel, but it's never and it will never be about you. It will never be up to you being a really good communicator, never having awkward silences and conversations, right? It's not about you. It never has been. It's always been a work of the Holy Spirit. Conversion is a miracle, and you are not a miracle worker. That should take an extreme amount of pressure off of your back. Conversion is a miracle. And you are not a miracle worker. This is why, again, going back to it, prayer is vital. Amen? Amen. Fourth, um, a rejection of the gospel is a rejection of our gospel message, not the gospel messenger. Church, you may face rejection. And I want to just be clear, it is hard. There will be times when you are going to share your faith and you are going to pour it all out and you are going to be opposed. Or you're going to be the person that they no longer pick up the phone when you call, or they rush into their driveway when you pull in or when you're taking out your trash, right? Um, This is not easy, but church, if that happens to you, you are not a failure. You have not messed up. You are not a failure There will be those who reject the gospel message, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's a problem with the gospel messenger, okay? That's not what that means. Could it be that there's a rejection of the gospel message that you are called to give? You are faithful when you give it, not when it is received. Our faithfulness is seen when we obediently give it. Um, I know none of us are going to love rejection, right? That's not a thing. We don't, we don't like that. Um, but listen to this. This comes from just a few chapters later in Luke 10. It says, the one who hears you hears me. This is Jesus talking. The one who, hear, who, the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me or rejects the one, him who sent me. A rejection of the gospel is a rejection of our gospel message, not necessarily the gospel messenger. Now, lastly, so we have prayer is, is not the preparation, it is the battle. That gospel mission flows from the gospel message. That gospel transformation is a miracle, a work of the Holy Spirit. And that a rejection of the gospel is, is a rejection of the gospel message, not the gospel messenger. Lastly, we don't quit. We don't quit. Even in the midst of opposition, church, we don't quit. We don't stop because not, God never quit on us. We don't have that 
we are called not to quit. I believe um, many of us have had those uh, experiences in our lives. Many of us have uh, maybe even scarred us a little bit when it comes to sharing our faith. By the way, this is one of the least popular topics to talk about on a Sunday morning. So welcome to Stone Oak. Glad you're here. Um, but many of us come to this place with scars and, and thinking we're not good enough. Um, let me be really honest. I have had those experiences. I have, had, I have certainly have had those experiences, but sitting out, church, is just not an option. Sitting out on this one is not an option because we are called, set apart, empowered, equipped, and you are not alone. It's not an option to sit out. We don't quit. Uh, Jesus was controversial in his birth, his life. His uh, death was a scandal. His resurrection, now that was just outright scandalous. Like we don't, they didn't know what to do with that. Um, his resurrection, like, that's our savior, church. That's our message. It was controversial then, church. It is controversial now. It is what Simeon prophesied. Listen to Paul here. I wanna, I wanna read one thing to you. First, Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly. Some translations may say foolishness. The word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here's what that means. Two people can be looking at the same thing. And one sees the power of God for salvation. The other one sees a crazy amount of foolishness. And it's not up to us to decide which camp people belong in. We started our time together this morning seeing the fact that our culture, our community is changing. Um, but it's not ours to fear. And it's not ours to change it's not ours to remain silent. It's not ours to throw theological grenades and bombard people. That's not ours either. No, we, we should expect that our gospel is countercultural. Uh, we should then proclaim it nonetheless. Because it's by the power of God through that gospel that, that we are saved, we have been saved, that Salvation is possible. It is only in this and through the power of God, through his message that lives are changed. It's the power of God. Church, let me, let me pray for us. God, we first of all stop and thank you for your gospel, for the good news that we have. I thank you that it is in fact good. That I could not do this on my own, but God, you sent your son into the world to provide a way that I can be reconciled to you. Not because I am good, not because I have been able to try hard, not because of any of that, but God, because you are good. You've loved me. And you made a way for me. God, that is good news. 
So first, we thank you for that. And second, I just wanna pray for our church. I wanna pray for men and women in this room right now. God, would you give us courage? God, would you give us opportunity? God, would you open our eyes? Even in this moment right now, would you begin to show us ways that you desire to use us? You have us in our community, in our job, in our school, in our home for a reason. God, would you show us how we can live on mission? If that means waiting patiently for you to open the door, then let us courageously wait. If that means that we need to speak and that now is the time, God, would you give us the courage to obey and to open our mouths? You have called us. You don't have two versions of Christians. You have one. Those who you have called, redeemed, and those who you have equipped to be about your work. You have redeemed us. You have reconciled us so that we can now be given the ministry of reconciliation. We stand on that. God, would you give us courage and would you open our eyes and would you show us that this is about you and not about us? And God, as a church, as we do this, we pray that all glory goes to you and you alone, not to us. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.